Before we begin the message today, I just want to talk to you about something this week that's really, really exciting. Um, the most exciting service of our year, I believe, is Christmas Eve. And then this, this weekend, there are three services, uh, one on Saturday, which is actually on the 23rd. Throughout the years, you know, it's worked out where many perhaps could not attend Christmas Eve service because you're traveling, so that does give you one more day. If you happen to be traveling on Christmas Eve, there's a 6 o'clock service this Saturday, and uh, it's, a, it's the full Christmas Eve service. And then on Sunday, next Sunday morning, there won't be morning services. We're shifting to afternoon because of Christmas Eve. But just as there are on Sunday, there will be two services on Sunday, 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock. And so whichever one works better for you, I know that many of you will be inviting friends and family, and you'll want to attend with them. So I just want you to know this is the most, I think, exciting service of our year. There are many invites out, outside where you can, um, you can invite people. You can take one of these cards and tell them what's going on. If, if you've ever been to a Christmas Eve service, maybe a candlelight service, where they just kind of sang some Christmas songs and, and that was pretty much it, there was a little, you know, reading or something, I have to tell you, this is as far away from that as it can possibly be. It's a little bit Christmas Eve, it's a little bit Broadway, it's a little bit sermon series, it's just the most explosive, exciting thing you've ever seen. I was at Sam's yesterday, my wife sent me to the grocery store, and so I'm pushing the basket out to my car, and all of a sudden I hear this lady's voice behind me saying, sir, sir, and it was formal enough that I thought I'd probably left something in Sam's and maybe I'd drop something out of my basket. But I turned around, this lady came rushing up to me and she said, are you the pastor at Messiah? And I said, yes. She said, I watch you every weekend on television. I think she thought it was kind of funny to watch me pushing a shopping basket, you know, because <laughs> you see me. But I, I, I was inviting her to the Christmas Eve service and I was trying to think of words to say because how do you, how do you express what Christmas Eve is like here? I just said, it's it's the service of the year, and that's what it is. So uh, I just want to encourage you to come. It'll be delightful. Uh, again, Saturday night at 6 o'clock, Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon, rather, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, three opportunities. And in the case, in the rare case that you absolutely cannot be at any of these services, let me tell you also that following the 10 o'clock news on Christmas Eve, there will be the hour-long broadcast of our Christmas Eve service on Channel 12. So that's, that's kind of a cool thing that, uh, that's going on as well. God is doing awesome things at Messiah, and we're so thankful that, that you're a part of this. This is a family. This is not, you know, just a churchy kind of place where people go and sit through a sermon and, and sit through, you know, some songs. This is a family. When we get together, we celebrate Jesus, we celebrate each other, and we celebrate our future. Let me talk about that for a few moments. The series that we're in right now called The Visitor is about Jesus coming into our world. That is Christmas. And one of the passions that I've had in bringing you this series is to some degree a little bit of a cultural thing. Because we live in an age where Jesus is being de-emphasized during the Christmas season. And it's kind of contradictory when you think about it. It's paradoxical. Because here we celebrate, you know, for a whole month. I can't think of another holiday that has a whole season attached to it. You know, as I've shared with you before, many retailers will depend on half of their income during the Christmas season because people give gifts to celebrate. We put lights on the trees. We put lights on our homes. I mean, there's no holiday that we celebrate like Christmas. And I just want to step back from that for a moment, and I'm not trying to poke at anybody. I'm not trying to get on any kind of crusade or campaign. I'd just like for us to be academically honest with ourselves about this, that if it's not about a Savior coming into the world, for the life of me, I can't figure out why we're going to all this trouble and energy. Can you? I mean, and then, you know, they... Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know why I'm in a traffic jam on Rock Road if a Savior didn't come into our world. <laughs> we, have it, we have it also where other holidays are being elevated, you know, and Christmas is being de-emphasized so that we can all put them on a shelf of uniformity. And I'm not knocking anybody else's holiday, but, but really when it gets right down to it, I can't think of any of those other holidays that rise to the level of what we're doing if a Savior didn't come into our world. But the reason why we celebrate with our foot all the way to the floor is a Savior did come into our world. God became human. That's Bethlehem. That's what it's about. And God did it in dramatic style. He didn't have his son born at Wesley or St. Francis or St. Joseph. He, he had his son born in a barnyard. I mean, imagine what the wise men must have felt like. They followed a star and wound up in a barnyard. But you know what? If God is in the barnyard, it's worth following the star. And he was. God in flesh. And I've been talking to you for the last three weeks about the, the, the coolness of that. Just that, you know, God became human and lived in our neighborhood. I try to imagine, you know, I have a crazy imagination. I try to imagine what it was like for God for all those thousands of years up in heaven, looking down on his creation. And he was watching his creation do all the stuff that you and I do. And God, you know, he's in our world, he's into our lives rather, but, you know, God had never done a lot of things that we do. But when Jesus was born, when God came in flesh, all of a sudden God was doing stuff that, that we do. He was going to weddings. He was getting hungry. When God came into our world, he knew what it was like to have the rain in his face. He knew what it was like to get sleepy. God knew what it was like to get up and go to work in the morning. I mean, Jesus was God in flesh. God came to our world to live like us. And when we celebrate Christmas, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating that God came into your world and my world, and he lived like us. He was like us. Which is why the Bible will tell us that we can tell him our problems. He's resurrected, you know. He rose from the grave. He lives in heaven. You can talk to him anytime. So if you have trouble getting up and going to the work in the morning, you can talk to him about that because he knows what it's like to get up and go to work. If somebody's giving you a hard time and treating you unfairly, you can tell him about it because he knows exactly what that's like. You can say, man, i got to get together with my family this week. And sometimes that can be a challenge during the holidays. Jesus knew what it was like to have family members that, you know, didn't, didn't sync up with what he was about. You can tell him because in Jesus, God came into your world and my world, and he was like us. That's worth celebrating. But let me tell you, that's not where the celebration ends. Oh, by no means. Because God not only came into our world to be like us, Jesus has an RSVP for you. He wants you to go to his home to be like him. Not only did he come into our world to live like us, he has invited us to come to his house to live like him. Let me read to you just a brief text of scripture from John chapter 14. And Jesus would say these things on the last night he had with his disciples before he would be arrested and crucified. In John 14, Jesus said, There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you, or would I have told you, that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I'm going. Now think about that. Jesus said to his disciples, and they weren't ready for him to be taken away. Many of us know what it's like to have a family member who's terminal. And we think we're ready for that moment when that person goes to be with God, but often we discover at that junction we're not as ready as we thought. 
Jesus had been telling his disciples that he was going to die on a cross and rise from the grave, but they weren't ready, and he knew that, and so he was, he was getting them prepared for it. And he said this. He said, I'm going to go away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and there's plenty of room in my Father's home, and I'm going to come back and get you, and you're going to live with me forever. That's what I've been trying to say to you this morning. Not only did God come into our world to be like us, he's inviting us to go to his world to be like him. Now, somebody could say, wait a minute, Mark, I kind of shrink back from that a little bit. You're saying I'm actually going to be like Jesus when I get to heaven? Oh, I'm not saying that. The Bible says that. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible says we don't exactly know what it's going to be like or what we're going to be like. We don't know what we're going to look like. I know I'll look better than this. We don't know how we're going to feel. We don't know exactly what life is going to be like when we get to heaven. That's what John said in 1 John 3, 2. We don't know exactly what we're going to be like, but John said this we do know. We know that when he appears, we are going to be like him. I like that. So God came into our world to be like us, and now Jesus has got an invitation on the table to you to come to his home to be like him. So let me ask you a question today. What have you done or what are you doing with his invitation? You say, well, Mark, I, I think everybody goes to heaven. I mean, Jesus came to our world. He died for all our sins and rose from the grave and I just feel, figure everybody goes to heaven. Maybe the good people go, the beautiful people go, and the really bad people, they don't get to go to heaven. That's how I have it figured. You need to understand that there's a totally different picture that Jesus presents. He write, he, get, Jesus gives us this story from the Gospel of Luke to help us understand all about this invitation. He said there was a, a great man, a very wealthy person. And you should know before I get into the story that this story is symbolic. Jesus is really talking about God, and he's talking about this invitation. But he's going to put it down in terms that we can get into. He's going to talk about this great person, probably a king, who was making a feast, and probably, from what we can pick up, it looks like this feast was a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out invitations to all the beautiful people. Now, I should let you know that their world was very different from ours in some ways. For one thing, there was no way to refrigerate. There was no way to preserve things. So at the moment when the feast would actually be held, it was time sensitive. Everything could go bad. So here's what great people would do if they were going to have this big feast. They would send out invitations, often months in advance, sometimes a year in advance, to say, I got this feast. It's coming up. Block it off on your calendar. And the people would respond and say, yes, we will be there. And then when everything was finally ready, man, the king or the great person would send his servant out into the community to go summon those people who had been invited because it was, time was critical. This is Jesus' story. He's talking about this guy who's got this great feast going on. And here's what Jesus said in his text. He said, a great man prepared a great feast and invited many. Now, I know what it's like. I, I write, I speak, I know what it's like to parse. By that I mean to weigh every word, to be careful to think about how words are going to fall. So I know what it's like to parse a statement. And I really think Jesus parsed this statement very carefully. He said, there was a man who prepared a great feast. Now, we're talking about God, we're talking about heaven. I find it significant that Jesus said this guy prepared the feast. In other words, he was providing everything. It was his food. It was his people preparing it. As far as I can tell from this story, all a person had to do was show up and bring an appetite. 
In fact, the most insulting thing that somebody could do was to bring a Tupperware full of pork and beans to this thing. Because this, this guy is great. I mean, we're talking about prime rib. We're talking about shrimp cocktail. We're talking about potato salad. We're talking about apple pie and homemade ice cream. I know. Trust me. I can read between the lines. And all they have to do is just show up. That's God talking to you about heaven. God doesn't want you to bring anything. You say, well, I, I think I'm a pretty good person. That's like bringing pork and beans to a state dinner. Because the Bible says at our best, we're not righteous. God didn't want you to bring your church membership. Be thankful for that. That's a wonderful thing. That gives you your opportunity to work together as a family and to be part of a community. But that's not what gets you into heaven. You say, well, I was baptized when I was a baby. God didn't want you bringing that to the table either. You say, well, I performed the sacraments. And Mark, I've listened to you preach for years. God doesn't want you bringing that because he prepares the feast. He just wants you to show up. That is why the Bible will say, by grace you are saved. Through believing, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Imagine that you have a gift for somebody, and, and that special someone opens the gift on Christmas morning, and they see the gift, and you know, you, you know, when you give a gift, you just can't wait to see people's faces when they open your gift. Suppose somebody that you love very much, you give a gift to that person, they open it up and say, okay, now, what do I have to pay you for this gift? Or I think, what if, what if that person said, well, I've opened up this gift, and the way I look at it, I've been pretty good this year. I think I deserve this. It wouldn't be very long before the mood would be spoiled, right? And that's exactly how it is. I talk to people all the time and ask, you know, are you sure you're going to heaven? Yeah, I think I'm a pretty good person. Basically, what we're saying is, God, I've opened up this gift, and I figure I deserve it. But that's not how it works. This great man prepared the feast. Hey, did you catch what Jesus said a few moments ago in John 14? He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Heaven is a free gift. And the moment that you and I or anyone else tries to add anything to it, we mess it up. Great man prepared a great feast. Heaven is a great place. You know, I, I just want you to know, I've, I've preached several series on heaven through the years, and one of the things that I always think about whenever I preach is, I want, I want you to understand that heaven is not, you know, you're not going to fly around like this baby, you know, with a harp twanging on a, you know, twanging on a harp and floating on a cloud. It's not like that. I mean, heaven is more like Pebble Beach than it is floating around. I mean, you can imagine, if God could make this world in six days, just imagine, try to imagine what he could do in 2,000 years. Heaven is going to be absolutely awesome. It's going to be all the things that you enjoy in this world without the issues. That's what God says. It's a great feast. Now, I love this. This is what's really sweet to me. The Bible says he invited many. I mean, you know what it's like many times where you work. If you work in a large company, there are certain perks that are open to the people at the top of the tower. And oftentimes when there's some kind of special invitation, only a handful of people get to go. But not with Jesus. He said God invited many. And evidently this invitation went out to all the beautiful people, the people that, you know, the people who were somebody. They were invited to what was probably the wedding feast for this great person, this king's son. And I guess at first they said, yeah, we'll come. But when the, when the meal was on the table, and, you know, all those great aromas were wafting up, and the seats were there, and all the napkins were folded just right, and the centerpieces were there, and the candles were lit, the servant of the king went out to the neighborhood to call those beautiful people who had been invited. And I'm sure that there were those 
you know, who didn't feel like they were invited. Maybe they were begging on the street and felt poor. Maybe they, you know, they, 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 they maybe couldn't walk or something, and they were thinking, wow, I wish I could be invited to this dinner. And they watched the servant go up and down and call the people, knock on the doors of the people who had been invited. But then something went really, really, really wrong. Then the strangest thing happened. Some of these beautiful people who had been invited to this dinner said, we're not going to come. And they started making excuses. Now, they didn't really say, we don't want your banquet. They didn't really say to the great person, we, don't, you know, we, we, don't, we, we just don't like you and we're not going to come. They basically said this, and I've tried to figure out just as clearly as I can how to say this to you. They were saying, it's not a good time. The timing is not right. The first guy said, I bought some land, and I haven't even looked at it. And he said, I, I, I ask you to excuse me. I'm going to beg off because... I bought something, and I need to go check it out, and this is not a good time for me. Now, there are people like that today. God's got an invitation on the table. God is saying, hey, I'm preparing a place. It's awesome. There's nothing like heaven, and it's free, and all you have to do is show up and bring an appetite. But there are people who say, this is not a good time because I'm, you know, I'm buying a, a car. I'm buying a house. I'm buying a big screen television. I'm buying, you know, I'm buying timeshare. I've got some investments out there, and I've got a lot of stuff that I'm I'm working on, and, and maybe, maybe later, you know, it's not a good time for me to give attention to God. And the second guy, he said, I've, I just bought some oxen. I've got to go check out whether or not they'll plow. I think these people were lying when it gets right down to it, because after all, dinners were held at night. Who plows at night? I mean, we do in Kansas. That's because we've got those great tractors with headlights and all this stuff. This guy didn't have that. But anyway, he said, I can't come. Now, think about this. Oxen, this guy was a farmer. He's talking about his job. He's saying, this is not a good time for me to respond because i got stuff going on at work, and, and maybe when all this stuff resolves at work, maybe I can give attention and I can think about it, but not, it's not a good time. There are people like that today. You know, God's got an invitation on the table, and they're saying, it's my job. And it's just, I'm pressed a breaking point, and you know, all these things are going on at work. can't think about it right now. Third guy. He said, I just got married. He's got a brand new wife at home. I mean, I, and, and, and it's interesting, he didn't even ask to be excused. He, he, got a, he had a double negative in the Greek. He was basically saying, you ain't going to see me there. I'm married. Now, all right, I, we'll just leave that to your imagination to work that out. How that broke up, I have no idea. The guy said, you ain't going to see me. There are people today, they, God's got an invitation on the table, and they're saying, it's my family. You know what? If I really follow Jesus, man, there are people in my family that just wouldn't have anything to do with me, or I, you know, it's just, a, it's not a good time for me right now. I got family stuff going on. What Jesus is trying to say here is that even though work and possessions and family are important, God is still first. At some point, you're going to have to determine if God is first in your life, or stuff, or work, or even family. Someone will say, well, Mark, I have a hard time thinking that God, you know, God's a loving God. God actually wants to come before my family. Well, the greatest thing you can ever do for your family is to make God first in your life. But yeah, many years ago, I was at a church in Houston when I first graduated from, from school. And I, had a lot of, I wore a lot of hats in that church as associate pastor. One of the things that I did was I oversaw high school ministry and college ministry. A lot of college students from the University of Houston there. 
And I wasn't much older than they. I think I was 22, and a lot of them were in their you know, early 20s. Some might have actually been older than me. But I remember there was this one kid named George, and, I, he, and we're still friends. I still see him from time to time. George was Arab, and his father was an extremely wealthy man. He owned a chain of grocery stores in Harris County. And George was the sole heir. He was going to be the one who would inherit all this money. And, and you know, we all kind of looked at him. George always drove a brand-new car. He always had the nicest clothes. He was well-to-do. But he started dating a girl from our church, and his dad said, I don't want you doing that because she's a Christian. And he, he said, you know, if you, if you start dating her, I'm going to disinherit you. But George didn't stop. And, and then he accepted Christ. And his dad had said, now, if you start going to that Baptist church, I'm going to disinherit you. But he he kept going, but finally, George's dad had a point at which he said, if you do this next thing, I know I've said a couple times I'm going to disinherit you, but if you do this next thing, it's such a public act. If you do this, I will cut you off. It was baptism. And we know baptism doesn't save you. It's a symbol. But George's dad understood it very clearly. And he said, if, you baptize, if you're baptized, I will cut you off. And for George, that would have meant losing millions of dollars. I remember having the joy of baptizing George. And I remember being back there as we were getting ready to walk into the water, and George told me this story. And he said, I am so happy tonight to follow Jesus if it costs me everything, because as much as I love my family, he's first. Can you say that today? Is he first in your life? Now, I want you to think about this story that Jesus is telling, because I want us to be very, very sure that we understand this. When Jesus tells a story about these guys who were giving excuses, what were they really saying? They were saying, my life is so important, I can't stop and pay attention to you. That's what's wrong in many people's relationship with Jesus Christ. They want to, you know, be a Christian, but they don't stop what they're doing in order to really have a relationship with Jesus. Now, I want to ask you to think about something. Isn't it true that most of us have a lot of high how's it going relationships? You know, we walk past people at work or at church or whatever. Hey, how's it going? Hey, nice to see you. Really good to see you. But we go on with our life. God does not want to have a hey, how's it going kind of relationship with you. I mean, it wasn't that God was wanting to cut these guys out of the supper. He was just saying, I'm not going to have a hey, how's it going kind of thing with you. God wants to have a family relationship. God wants to have a deep friendship with you. You have to stop for that kind of thing. You have to pay attention. I, I, I never know how to articulate this as a, as a communicator and as a, as a preacher. I always try to think about how to communicate this. But what really God wants from you is to pay attention to him. He's not really just wanting your money. He's not just wanting you to do something for him, although those things are important in their place. But what God really wants from you is for you to pay attention to him. Because he wants to have a relationship with you and not a high house and going kind of relationship. Well, what happened next? Because these guys have stiffed God. And somebody will say, well, I know what's going to happen because God's going to chase after them. You know, he's already invited them twice. You know, he sent out the invitation probably 12 months in advance and sent a servant not to tell them to come. So maybe God's going to keep pursuing them and keep knocking on their door saying, please come. You might be surprised to know God doesn't. In fact, he stops because they're so busy they don't have time for him God says okay I'm gonna move on does the name K Gary Kildall ring a bell with you 
Unless you're in one particular very, very confined area of study, probably not. In 1973, Gary Kildall wrote the first operating system for personal computers. Or not the first necessarily, but clearly the most popular. Seven years later, in 1980, IBM wanted him to develop the operating system for their computers. But he stiffed them at a crucial meeting with the excuse that he was too busy, when in reality, he just wanted to fly his plane. IBM was frustrated with that, and they turned to a kid who had either written or acquired an operating system called MS-DOS, and the guy's name is Bill Gates. God is a little bit like IBM in that one regard. If he gives you an invitation and you stiff him and you say, I'm too busy, God may move on to the next person. But I love what happens next because, see, these were the beautiful people that had been invited, and they said, we can't come because we got stuff. I'm buying stuff, and I'm working, and I'm, I'm married, and I got family life, and I can't stop for you. And God says to his servant, okay, we got a whole lot of chairs here. There's a table full of food. The candles are burning down, and the food's going to spoil. We got to do something to fill up this place. And so the king says to the servant, I want you to go out and find all those people who are poor and can't see and are crippled and can't walk. And the people that get ignored and forgotten, I want my house to be full. So the servant went out to find all those people who weren't so beautiful, and he invited them to come. This is my favorite part of the story. Because I wouldn't have been one of the beautiful people. I have blemishes in my life. I have things about me I don't like. There are times when I can be emotionally crippled. There are times when I can't see things as I should. I have problems in my life. Maybe I'm talking to you today and you thought, man, God would never invite me to heaven. I got all kinds of problems in my life. Aren't you glad the invitation went out to people who are not perfect? And the servant went out and he started calling people that didn't think they would ever be invited. And he said, come, the king wants you to come to his table. And here were these people who hobbled in and people who couldn't see and people who maybe didn't have the best clothes on and maybe people who didn't smell the nicest and people from the wrong side of the tracks. But they got to sit down at the banquet and they got to eat with the king. But the king looked around and said, I still think we have room. I don't think every chair is filled. Mr. Servant, I want you to come back here. There's another group of people that I'm interested in. I want you to go out there in the highways and the lanes and the country roads. And there's some people out there that they don't live in our town. They, they didn't, exp I mean, they're just traveling. They just happen to be here. I want you to go out and invite them to come sit at the banquet table. I could be talking to somebody and you think, I don't even know why I showed up at this church today. I'm not religious. Maybe you've never even thought about God or heard about God. Maybe... You know, you're just saying, I'm not a religious person. That's what God is talking about here. These are people that just, I mean, they, they just happen to be traveling through town and looking for a McDonald's, and they wound up eating prime rib and shrimp cocktail and potato salad because they were invited to the feast. Because the king said, I want my table to be full. And that's how it is for you and me. Maybe you're one of the beautiful people. I'm glad you're here. You're invited. Maybe you're like me and you say, hey, I've got a lot of issues in my life and I can't believe that God would invite me, but you're invited. 
I could be talking to somebody here and you say, Mark, I'm an agnostic. I'm just sort of a traveler through life. I'm waiting to find out what I believe. You're invited. The king has invited you. The question is, will you RSVP? Will you come? I have been a communicator and a preacher for 34 years. And every time I stand before a group of people, I think there's nothing sweeter I can tell you than God wants you to come to him. You're invited to his house. Christmas is God coming to our world to be like us. He's invited you to his house to be like him. Would you bow your head with me, please? If you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ, this is the moment. The invitation's on the table. You don't have to do anything. The feast has been prepared, and you've been invited. All you have to do is stop and say, yes, God, I desire a relationship with you. Not a how-how's-it-going kind of relationship, but a family relationship. Here's what the Bible says. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that simple. If you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity right now. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you'd like to pray with me, you can. And if you mean these words from your heart, God will hear you. Jesus, I believe you died to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. Today, I am telling you yes. I will come. I do receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Come into my life and take charge. 